Liberty friends, what's happening? This is your host of Felony Friday, John Odermatt, coming at you real quick before today's show to give you a very important reminder to please consider, if you have not already done, join the Lions of Liberty Pride. With the Lions of Liberty Pride, we are always giving you, delivering the best and the brightest minds, bringing you bonus content and unique things happening. Everything from watching yeah, a little beer pong tournament on the weekend to Conspiracy Corner and Degenerate Gamblers and bonus episodes with our guests. Also, uh, the upcoming, our third Libertarian presidential debate that we're having next week. The last two entrants, yes, the last two entrants were decided by our Lions of Liberty Pride members. We do perks like that all the time, so we're always bouncing things off our Pride members. We have for our $25 a month and up Pride members, we actually have monthly calls and we talk about all kinds of different things, but we also brainstorm about the show and take ideas. We bounce ideas off of them. So it's a great experience. I highly encourage you to join the Lions of Liberty Pride. Go to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. What is Felony Friday? Felony Friday is a show where every single week we're going to do a deep dive and we're going to examine and expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Now, if this is your first time listening to Felony Friday, your first time listening to any of the shows we have here on Lions of Liberty, sit back, relax, enjoy the show, put your feet up. If you're driving, please don't put your feet up. But if you've been back several times, if this is a regular habit of listening, why haven't you subscribed? Or maybe you have subscribed. Thank you if you subscribed. But if you haven't, please do so. Whatever podcasting app you're listening on, please just scroll up to the top there, punch that subscribe button, and uh, you'll get every single episode of the Lions of Liberty podcast and of Felony Friday delivered to your little listening device. And also, if you really enjoy what you're hearing here, please think about uh, giving us a a five-star rating and a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, especially if you listen there, because it helps with the algorithms and all that crazy stuff. Without further ado, let's get rolling with today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Albert Edwards. Albert was convicted of a nonviolent drug offense back in 1994, and at the time he was sentenced to 440 months. Uh, We'll get into the details of the case, crazy case, crazy things happening, um, ultimately, he was convicted and sentenced, sentenced based on drugs that his co-defendants in the case had sold to an undercover agent. Um, Albert did not sell to the agent, but ended up um, doing more time than any of his co-defendants. He was released from uh, prison April 12th, 2019, after serving nearly 26 years. Albert, welcome to Felony Friday. How you doing? Uh, thanks, John. Yeah, well, thanks, uh, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, I'm glad you're here to to share your story. I know we were talking in the the pre-show chat here that uh, you're friends with uh, with Carl Fort, who was on the show probably maybe maybe two three months ago. But uh, you know, it's it's always good to uh, 
to have more people coming on the show shining a light on injustice. And I've read a little bit about your case, and uh, there's there's a whole lot of injustice happening. So I uh, want to want to dig into those details. Before we do that, though, if we could turn the page back to before you got arrested, before you did time in prison, if you could just kind of to give the audience an idea of you know who you are, if you could share kind of where you grew up, what your you know early years were like, stuff like that. Okay. Um... Name's Albert Edwards. Uh, I was born in uh, Huntington, New York, which is on Long Island. And that, that was in uh, 1969. And my mom was born down here in uh, Illinois, Rockford, Illinois. But she had uh, migrated up there, her and my aunt. And uh, me, I have uh, two brothers and two sisters. But my, my two oldest sisters and my oldest brother, including me, we were all born in uh, Long Island, New York. So we ended up coming down here to Rockford, Illinois. Uh, I want to say maybe 72. No, I'm going to say 73, 73. And uh, I've been down here uh, ever since. Uh, of course, uh, by us moving down here, my father uh, stayed up there. Uh, I never knew him, so I grew up without a, a dad. Uh, my mom raised uh, me along with uh, my two my two brothers and my two sisters. and uh, you know, my mom, she was she was a, a heck of a provider, a single woman raising up uh, five kids. And we always kept kept a roof over our head and food, uh, clothes and everything. She was she was a great mom. Um, probably uh, with me as just the older I get, I never really had that father figure in my life. You know what I'm saying? So just really the older I get, the little more kind of loose and uh, wild that I got, you know, coming up. So let's talk through, uh, you know, what happened when, when you were arrested. Can you lay out sort of the, the situation leading up to that? Um, how you got into that situation? Okay. Uh, well, wow. The situation. Um, okay. I was arrested uh, July 28, 1993. That was, I was arrested on a federal uh, indictment and what led up to the case was there was a, a and you had said an agent, but he was actually an informant. I got you. Uh, yeah, his name was uh, Melvin Jones, and he had uh, committed a, uh, he had stuck up a credit union. He had robbed a credit union, I, I want to say like it was in April of 93, and he got caught the same day, him and another accomplished, and uh, once he got caught for that, he told the FBI agents, he was like, well, you know, I know all the guys in the, in the streets of Rockford who were dealing drugs. So help me, I'll help you guys. And one of the names they, uh, that he gave that told the agents about was, uh, my childhood friend, uh, Michael Henderson. So fast forward to like June of, uh, 93, the end of June, uh, equipped with a, uh, a body recorder, uh, Melvin Jones came over to Mike, uh, Henderson's house mm -hmm. to, set him up on a drug deal and the, the first day he came over there was uh june 28th yeah june 28th 1993 he came to mike's house four separate times and uh mike was never home that day i i was at mike's house two of the four times that day so i seen uh melvin jones the second time he came over and the fourth time he came over did you did you and, know him yeah i knew him yeah. i knew him he he was uh he was from my neighborhood you know so we and uh, 
the thing about him, you know, any you know, Melvin Jones, he had like a long history of uh doing stuff in the streets and, and getting incarcerated for it and everything. And based on on that, you know, he was able, you know, to I, I remember one of the things uh the prosecutor said in my trial, he was like, you know, it would be okay if we could send a preacher around these guys, but you gotta send one of one of their own. You gotta send uh, ones who was in that lifestyle. So I always remember that, but that was uh, Melvin Jones. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he came over that day four times on June 28th, attempting to make contact with uh, Mike Henderson to, to set this deal up, but he never uh, made contact with Mike. So uh, he ended up uh, going, uh, I think, yeah, the fourth time he seen me, he had asked me for Mike's pager number which I gave to him, but I was like, you know, I've been paging him all day. He probably won't call you back, but here, you can try. I gave him the page number. Mike never called him back. He didn't answer. So now when he went back and he told the agents, he was like, uh, hey, that uh, that last guy I was talking to, and my nickname uh, back then was uh, Bubba. He was like, uh, hey, I was talking to Bubba. He had, a, he had a gun on him when I was talking to him. So the agents said, okay, well, when you go over there tomorrow, if you see this bubble or anybody with any weapons, try to engage them in a conversation so we can get it on tape. So, uh, Mike, it was, like I say, he never made contact with Mike on June 28th, but Mike was told that, hey, man, uh, Melvin came looking for you like that. So the next day, I ended up spending the night at Mike's house. So the next day that morning, Melvin Jones came back, and I opened the door for him. I answered the door. Mike was home this time, so I let him in, and I went back in Mike's room, and I was like, hey, Mike, uh, uh, Melvin's out here for you. So when I came back through, walking through the kitchen, he said to me, he was like, bub, what's that, a nine? And when he said I was like, yeah. And I walked through the kitchen, I went back to playing the video game. And uh, Mike came in the kitchen, and they, they engaged in a conversation for like about 30 minutes. All the time, uh, he had a body recorder on him, so the conversation was recorded and being listened to by the uh, federal agents. And in that conversation, he was telling Mike that, uh, hey, man, I came through looking for you yesterday. I'm trying to get an ounce of crack. And, you know, they went back and forth for about 30 minutes. Mike was telling me, he was like, well, you know, I don't got no drugs here right now. I don't like keeping drugs here. This is not a drug house. And, they, you know, Mike talked about the armed robbery that – uh Jones had been arrested for, because everybody knew he had been arrested mm-hmm. for the robbery. It was in the newspaper and then word on the streets. And Jones was telling Mike how he got away with like $70,000 and still has the money. They're going back and forth like that. So Mike told Jones, he was like, told Melvin Jones, he was like, well, you know, come back through later on. I might be able to sell you some drugs. So Melvin left. He came back through later on that day, just June 29th. He came back through for a second time that day. I wasn't at the house. Mike was there, and one of my co-defendants, Terry Wilson, was there. So this is this is when Mike uh, sold Melvin Jones eight grams of crack. So those that sale right there was just charged to Mike on in the indictment mm-hmm. uh, by itself. And Mike said, "Well, you know, uh, if you want some more, come back through later on. I'm if I'm here, I'll give it to you. But if not, he pointed to uh, uh, my co-defendant Terry Wilson. So Jones left." He gave the agents the eight grams that Mike sold him. So that was the, that was a sale charge to Mike. He came back through that third time that day. Uh, I wasn't there. Uh, Terry Wilson was there. 
and he told uh, Jones, uh, you no, know, wasn't no drugs there. So he left. He came back through a fourth time that day. This time I was there with about maybe 15 other individuals. We was uh, barbecuing, drinking, playing video games, playing dice. Uh, Jones actually. This is a curiosity. How old were you at this time? At, at that time, I was. I had just turned 24. Okay. I just turned because my birthday is June 21st, and y'all had just turned 24. So uh, Jones actually stayed at the house for maybe about about an hour and a half. He's waiting for the drugs to come, and uh, I'm on tape. Like I say, he had a body recorder on, so I'm on tape. You can hear me. I'm shooting dice. You no. Know, we're playing music, having fun, drinking, smoking pot. And uh, finally, the drugs came. They were brought to the house by my co-defendant, uh, Leroy Nolan. And uh, it was testified at trial that Leroy came in the house, but he, he actually, he never came in the house. But long story short, Leroy uh, gave the drugs to Terry Wilson, and Terry Wilson sold the drugs to uh, Melvin Jones, it was 10 grams of crack. Now on that sale, uh, Terry Wilson, Leroy Nolan, and Mike Henderson were charged with it, with that 10 gram sale of, of crack to uh, Melvin Jones. So after that, he, uh, he took those 10 grams back to the agents. Uh, there was never no more investigation or anything. And what I just said, that right there was took, taken to the grand jury mm-hmm. almost a month later. Uh, an agent testified to what I did. He, Melvin Jones didn't testify at the grand jury. The agent testified to what Melvin Jones told him how it went and what they heard on the tape. Of course, the uh, one of the questions that the grand jury asked was about me because they were saying, based on what we heard, he, you know, what does the gun, because Melvin Jones always said that I was in possession of a gun. Uh, so they were like, well, from what we heard, the gun never had anything to do with the drug dealing. It was always either he came through and didn't get drugs and he sent the gun or he came through and got drugs and the gun wasn't there. But long story short, I ended up getting indicted uh, with them and it was a four count indictment. Uh, count one charged me, Henderson, uh Terry Wilson and Leroy Nolan charged all four of us with a with a drug conspiracy. Count two charged just Henderson with the eight gram sale of crack. Count three charged uh, Henderson, Wilson, and Nolan with the ten gram sale of uh, crack. And count four charged all four of us with use and carry of a weapon during a drug trafficking offense. So mm-hmm. five, on a four count indictment. I was named on count one, the drug conspiracy, and count four was the uh, use and carry of a weapon. And that, and that was, we got arrested uh, July 28, 1993, and I didn't see the streets again until April 12, 2019. Jesus. As you were, that's crazy. Um, so when you were arrested, you guys were all during the trial. You, were you all tried together? Yeah, well, or we did were, did we you did you plea or? No, we went to we went to trial, and uh, my reason for going to trial, and and let me just say this, uh, I wasn't a, a saint, I wasn't an angel, you know, I was I was in the streets, I had been incarcerated before, but this case right here, my reason for going to trial, it wasn't that I was trying to, you know, my 
I knew what was going on. I was there, but my whole thing was I wasn't involved. I didn't have anything to do with the eight grams or the 10 grams that got sold to him. Cause had I would have had something to do with it, I wouldn't have had no problem of taking a plea. I would have pled it guilty mm -hmm. and you know, when it did my time, but that was, this was my, my only reason of going to trial. Cause I honestly felt and knew that I didn't have anything to do with the case. So that's why I went to trial. But by me going to trial, my other three co-defendants, Henderson, Wilson, and uh, Nolan, they ended up going to trial too. So all four of us went to trial and we started, all four of us started to go to trial together. But the a week before we, uh, was supposed to start our trial, Henderson, which he was named in indictment as the ringleader of the case, his lawyer had to have a triple bypass heart surgery. So they asked for a continuance. And but me, Nolan and Wilson, we were ready because we had been sitting in jail for like maybe uh, seven months. Mm -hmm. No mind. And we were just ready to get it over with. So we was like, we're ready for trial. So that they severed the judge took Henderson off our case and all three of us were supposed to go to trial a week later. But then uh, on the day we were supposed to pick the jury, uh, Nolan, Leroy Nolan's uh, lawyer reported to the judge that uh, his client uh, was possibly trying to get a government witness to permit uh, commit perjury. So he filed his lawyer filed to get taken off uh, Leroy's case, which caused Leroy not to have a lawyer at the time. So Leroy got wow. severed from our case. So it ended up, it ended up being uh, me and Wilson who went to trial first. We went to trial January uh, 18th, uh, 1994. And then in May, Henderson and Nolan went to trial. Do you think, do you think that hurt you being, being split off like that? Or you do know, you No. Well, see, actually, and it's crazy that it is, is uh, it didn't hurt me. I thought it would help me for the simple fact that uh, by Henderson being named as the ringleader mm -hmm. and he was on all four counts of the indictment and now we don't have him. But the, the only crazy thing, and I always re remember this, is because at trial they got, uh, well, it, it was a federal case, but uh, in the feds, uh, one of the uh, rules of criminal procedure, they got something called uh, 404B conduct. And what 404B conduct is, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not actual evidence, mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's character evidence. And it, it's supposed to be used, you got to be careful when you're using it because they're saying if it's misused, it could be very prejudicial, uh, prejudice towards the defendant. And when they took Henderson off the case, the judge made a clear announcement. He was like, now that Michael Henderson is no longer a defendant at these other three individuals' trial, his 404B conduct is inadmissible. Mm -hmm. And the judge made that announcement because your 404B conduct is bad, is character evidence against you, not against nobody else. So when Henderson got taken off the case, his 404B conduct was supposed to leave with him. The government... Uh, they agreed at that time, but when my trial started, they ended up bringing Henderson's 404B conduct into my trial, and that's what blew me out the water hmm. because my whole trial was Henderson is, Henderson that, Henderson is, Henderson, and he's the ringleader. So the, the jury was bombarded 
with Henderson, Hender, you know, the Henderson or because they named it, the government named it the, the Henderson organization. So the jury was bombarded with that. And now they're looking at us and they're like, oh, wow, because it was portrayed that we were all workers for Henderson mm-hmm. like that. So what ended up being when I just explained the two days of June 28th and June 29th, 1993, what it, and what I indictment said, what ended up being a two day case that we were defending at trial, it turned into a five year drug case, which was is actually illegal because it's, it's, you know, your your indictment puts you on notice of what you're going to defend. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you set your defense up. So we set our defense up on the happenings of the two days in June of 93. We wasn't ready for the evidence that turned out to be uh, 1988. It went back to the summer of 88 Jeez. of dealing drugs to to our arrest of July of 93. So what we were indicted on and what you took to the grand jury was a two-day conspiracy. But then at my trial, you put on a five-year conspiracy, which is, at the, it was illegal. Had my lawyer would have appealed just that right there, nothing else, I would have got a new trial. I didn't find out to, I knew I got screwed, but it wasn't until years later, maybe like about four or five years after my trial, because mm-hmm. I started spending time in the library, and I actually started, you know, reading and studying, I was like, man, this is how I got screwed around. So... You guys got convicted. Um, when you you know heard that heard that uh, heard the judge read that you were you know convicted, the jury was convicting you. What kind of thoughts were going through your mind? How much time did you think you were going to be serving? Well, see, the f- federal federal uh, sentencing is basically cut and dry when it comes to uh, drug cases because they got the majority of them are mandatory sentences and back then uh during the time i caught my case five grams or more of crack carried a mandatory minimum sentence of five years a maximum of 40. but now if you had a prior drug offense that five to 40 turned into 10 to life and i had a i had a prior i had a prior drug offense so and it's called an 851 enhancement, which they filed. They filed an 851 enhancement on me. So I went from looking at 5 to 40 to 10 to life. And now when they said 10 to life, they also took use that same drug prior. When they took it from 5 to 40 to 10 to life, they took that same drug case and they took a fist fight. I got in a fist fight when I was uh 18 years old at a bus station. And... They took that fist fight and they took my prior drug case. So now I went from five to 40, from 10 to life to 30 to life. Just that, just that quick. And the 30 was a mandatory minimum. And also the gun charge carried five years consecutive. So my minimum, even going into trial, knowing if I get found guilty, my minimum sentence was 35 years at 85%. That's like, uh, Man, that's like 30, 32, 30, almost 32 years mm-hmm. straight. And, and you said you knew that going into the trial. That if going you, into yeah. the going into the trial, but the only thing I kept saying was based on I actually, you know, based on me knowing how it went, the case itself, I was saying, because you know, the jury verdict has to be unanimous. Mm-hmm. And I just for the world of me, 
I was saying no 12 people are going to find me guilty of this charge. I said at least one is going to say, just like the grand jury, when the grand jury said, well, you know, the gun don't really got nothing to do. With what we, and I was thinking like one would have been like, well, you know, this, this guy really ain't do nothing. So, so what, why do you think the jury, the jury did? I mean, did you, uh, did, did you get to take the stand for yourself or? I, I wanted, I wanted to take the stand. I wanted to get up there and tell my side. Mm-hmm. And, and I think later on, what I actually think was the jury never heard me. The only thing they heard was the governance, the government's, uh, version, you know, through the, uh, the, uh, Melvin Jones mm-hmm. took the stand and one of, um, Henderson's workers took the stand. They never heard from me. And if you think about it, it's just this scenario. If somebody's lying to you in your face, if it's a crowd of people and somebody's telling you, hey, I know that was you who took that old woman's purse in another side of town. The first reaction, you're going to say, nah, you're not just going to sit there and let somebody accuse you of something that Mm -hmm. you didn't do. The jury never heard me, you know, mm-hmm. I, and, and, I, and I will say this. I was I was given I was given up. Well, 11 of my jurors was white. Uh, but I always say 12 because I did have a, a Hispanic, but he didn't have no accent. He didn't have no accent. So I was like, man, I got 12 people, mm-hmm. you know, but I had 11 people, one Hispanic. Uh, one of my jurors was. He was, he was had, well, he looked like he was in his seventies or late sixties. He mm. was actually falling asleep on his, on the, in the jury box. I'm pointing, I'm telling my lawyer like, Hey, the guy's up there asleep, you know? Uh, but the, I wanted to take the stand. My lawyer kept frustrating me. Cause he was like, if you take the stand, they're going to bring out, bring up your past. But the whole thing is you use my past to mm. take me from five to 40 to 30 to life right you, you use my past to enhance my sentence so you know he he just kept frustrating me because i wanted to take the standard because they actually just laid it out with me it's like well if albert edwards didn't have anything to do with this who hangs out with drug them you know mm-hmm. which one of the jury instructions was uh uh, uh one of the and i always remember this jury instruction with the jury was instructed that present presence at the scene and knowledge present and knowledge is not enough to establish guilt. The jury was instructed on that. Mm-hmm. And that's all they showed in my trial. They showed that I was there. They showed that I knew what was going on, but they never, there was never nothing showing what I actually did, you know, because in all the conspiracy is a conspiracy is a, a, an agreement of, of between two or more people to commit an unlawful act. Man, you can agree to commit mm-hmm. an unlawful act. We don't even got to do it. We can just say, hey, man, let's do X, Y, Z. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do that. And that's a conspiracy. But they never they never showed an agreement. They just landslided the, uh, the jury with, hey, man, you know, who hangs? They had the two sales. They had the two drug sales. And basically in my part, they was like, who hangs out with drug dealers? Because uh, I remember the uh, prosecutor at the end of my trial, he was like, Albert Edwards' attorney is basically just laying it out that Albert was just there, but who hangs out with drug dealers? And that's another reason why I wanted to take the stand because the jury never knew that Michael Henderson is a childhood friend. We got arrested 
this case happened when uh we were was both 24. We had known each other since we was eight years old. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was hanging with him, you yeah. know. But the jury, the jury never got to hear it. Plus, that. is is hang so hanging out? I mean, would people on the jury think that hanging out with drug dealers is worth is worth sending someone away for 30 years? I mean, that's just in insanity, you know. Yeah, and, and it is, and you know what, and that's another thing that they keep away from the jury. They don't tell the jury what your punishment is. Right, be. right. You know, I'm pretty sure that they didn't realize that I was looking at a minimum of 35 years, mm -hmm. you know, a minimum, you know, which, and another thing I'll add to that is, is crazy because you're subject to get more time when it comes to federal sentencing and punishment, you're subject to get more time on a drug case than you are on a violent case, you know, the, 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 uh, or even a terrorist case. Mm -hmm. I, I forget his name, but the guy who had the, tennis shoot the tennis shoot bomber he was sentenced to 40 years so i was sentenced to 36 years eight months so i got a couple years lesser than a guy who was attempting to blow a plane out the air you know yeah, it's, it's it's absolutely insane and most uh it has changed a little bit for the better but it needs to change a lot more the, the sentencing guidelines mm -hmm. But uh, mm -hmm. even, even people, even lawmakers don't know it. They don't even know what the laws they are. Yeah. They don't, you know, it's like, okay, the sentencing guidelines have been around since 1987. Mm -hmm. the, crack, the crack law came in, the crack law came in in 1987. And they shoved it, the crack law shot through so quick. And one of, I read some of the minutes from the crack law. You had a couple of, uh, one was out of Florida. And he, he gave a half-something apology a couple years back. and But one of the statements that he made was this. They said that we got this crack out here in the streets, and they associated with all the violence and women having the, the crack babies. They flooded all this mm -hmm. stuff. We got to do something about this. And one of the statements that, that this politician made was, the ones who are out here selling this is young blacks and young Latinos. This you made this statement, so you turn around and with this and with this bill, you turn around and you you took and you made the punishment for crack a hundred times worse than for cocaine. But the whole thing about it, you need cocaine to make crack. Mm -hmm. Without cocaine, you can't have crack. So crack is actually just another form of cocaine. It's like trying to convince somebody saying, well, there's a difference between an ice cube and water. Yeah. If I put this in the freezer, it's going to freeze up. So I would be trying to convince you saying, well, okay, that's not water no more. That's ice. Mm -hmm. There's a, a difference. They had, uh, so that right there in itself, and I, and I don't, I'm not saying this because I had a crack case, but to me, that's one of the racist penalties. The hundred to one. Absolutely. Because no way, like you take, you got, you got powder cocaine, you got crack cocaine. Uh, you could take a person, you could take three people. You could take a person who could snort powder cocaine. You could take a person who can shoot it, inject it, mm -hmm. cocaine. And you could take a person who smokes, you know, mm -hmm. when they call it and crack, crack is, crack is a nickname. That's not even a scientific name. They call it coke cocaine base but so you can take somebody who smoked cocaine base you drug test all three of them the results 
if you get a positive reading, the positive reading is going to come back cocaine. It's not going to come back, oh, well, uh, he had cocaine in his system. He had mm-hmm. crack in his system. It's going to come back cocaine. So that's the only drug in federal punishment that has three different punishments, as I tell you today. It has three different punishments mm-hmm. right now, and it's the same drug. It would be like, and maybe they do have this actually, um, different punishments for marijuana. If you're going to have a punishment for for flour, if you're going to have a punishment for uh, for edibles, and then a different punishment for uh, if people were you know using exactly. oils or so. It's, but it's yeah. all mar- yeah. But it's all marijuana. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's all the same thing. And, and when it comes to cocaine, when it comes to that, it's the same. I mean, I didn't read cases where. The courts laid it out and they said this is the same drug. That's why you have a few judges who sentence when it comes to cocaine base, they sentence it as if it's powder because they're saying that's all it is. It's cocaine. Mm-hmm. It's cocaine. You can put these little fancy things. And even even the studies of when they uh, associated all the violence, uh the cocaine babies, and they was all that came out to be there was no there was nothing to support that. You know, you, if you throw it out there and you spook everybody, it's like, oh, okay, well, we this is what we got to do. But all the time, if you do your homework, you know, cause that's why you got a couple federal federal judges that they'll tell you, don't come in here with that, even the 18 to 1. The, Obama lowered the penalties in 2010. And I ended up, that's why I ended up coming home. I ended up coming they didn't make it the law retroactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he changed the law in 2010, he didn't make it retroactive. Well, I would have came home in 2010. Donald Trump made it retroactive. Uh, the first and I'm step. not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to say that. You know, Donald Trump made it retroactive mm-hmm. in December, December 21st of 2018, and I ended up coming home in uh, uh, April of 2019. That's how I, I actually had seven more years before I was released. Let's take a real quick break here, I want to tell you guys about an awesome libertarian podcast. I know you guys think that Lines of Liberty is the only libertarian podcast out there, and we are great. I mean, it's awesome, but we do hear Lines of Liberty. But there's other good ones, too. In fact, there's a great one called Good Morning Liberty. It's hosted by our friends, Nate and Charlie. They've taken on the onus of trying to change people's minds of how people view libertarians. And they're doing this by leading with a message of compassion first. They're looking at the way in which policies impact people and using the principles of liberty to provide compassionate solutions. I know it's amazing, right? So much more effective than just typing loudly and screaming to yourself and commenting on Facebook statuses. But they're actually giving you tangible ways to talk to other human beings about how liberty is compassion. Amazing, right? So Nate and Charlie are two great guys, like I said. I think I said that at the beginning. They have a, uh, a background in healthcare. They actually own a healthcare IT company. So at times like this and times of crisis uh, that we have in this country right now, a great podcast to tap into to get their perspective. You can check it out five days per week. So if you need that uh, daily hit of liberty, please check out Nate and Charlie over at Good Morning Liberty. Of course, you can find it on all the regular podcatching apps, or you can just go to lol.gmlpodcast.com. Good Morning Liberty. Check it out. So, yeah, so tell me, tell me about that. So at what point, when did you find out that you were, that you were getting out? Well, okay. 
Well, I've been following since, like I said, Obama changed the law in 2010. So once he changed the law, I was eligible to come home. So I had to go the rest of 2010, 11, 12, and so on. Uh, I wrote Obama a thousand times saying, hey, won't you? I mean, okay, I understand that it has to go through Congress, that, you know, but it's not moving like that right now. But won't you use your executive powers and just me and everybody else who's still stuck in prison under 100 to 1 ratio where you'd have made it 18 to 1? Why don't you use your executive powers and just adjust our sentence to what it would be to 18 to 1? Of course, that went unheard. Uh, but how, so once uh, it was back in, uh, let me see, it was back in the August. It was August of 2018. They had a meeting in the White House. Uh, Lindsey Graham, Coyer out of Texas, uh, Mike, uh, what's he out of Utah. These was the hardliners, uh, Chuck Grassley. Uh, it was some other one because the, the, the bill, the, it's called the First Step Act. It shot through the House shot through with the quickness in like three weeks installed in the senate because chuck grassley uh dick durbin and a couple more they were saying this don't do enough and that's when they added they added uh to make the uh the sentencing of uh the uh, reform act retroactive they added some more stuff that's what i need i think it was uh, a mike so mike lee and rand mike paul lee, mike lee out of too, Utah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, all of them met in the White House in August because, like I said, that bill is stalled. And so when it came in, you know, they added that to it. So once from that conversation, mm -hmm. I was like, man, I said, by them adding that, that sends me home. So once it did make it, uh, then it kind of, if you remember, uh, what's the name out of Kentucky? Uh, 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 the leader, uh, Senate leader. McConnell? Mitch McConnell? McConnell. McConnell was stalling. Everybody mm -hmm. was getting on him. Uh, Donald Trump, you know, he was like, get it to my desk. I'm going to sign it. So finally, McConnell called the vote. And once the vote got through and it, and it passed, when it passed through the Senate, I knew I was coming home. So, mm -hmm. like I say, Donald Trump signed it uh, on the 21st of December. And it was uh, he signed it on the 21st of December, 2018. And I was eligible to come home. I filed my motion to be released January 2nd, uh, 2019. My judge ruled on it uh, 2000. I mean, he ruled on it in March, March 14th. He ruled on it, but he set me to be released 30 days later, which would have fell on the 14th, which was a Sunday. But by, because it fell on the, the feds, uh, they don't release you on the weekend. You're either going to be lucky. If, if your release date falls on a Saturday or Sunday, you're going to get out Friday. Mm -hmm. And my release date fell on a Sunday, so that's why I got out uh, Friday the uh, 12th, April 12th. Been home ever since. <laughs> so what was, uh, when you got out, what was the, the first thing you wanted to do? Like a, go to a restaurant somewhere to eat, or what, what, was, what were you looking forward to? You know, I said this for, uh, I started saying this like maybe my last seven, eight years before I was released, people used to ask me, you know, they was like, Man, what you gonna do the f the first thing when you when you go home? And I said, man, the first thing I'm gonna do, I'm gonna take me a bubble bath. <laughs> so everybody be like, man. And I said, because you got showers in prison. That's mm -hmm. all it is is showers. And I took showers for so long. I said, man, I'm taking me a bubble bath. Which even now I've been home going on 14 months. 
two, maybe two to three times out the week, I'm gonna take a, I, I take a bath. I love mm-hmm. bath. I love it. Yeah. So that, that was the first thing I did when I came home. So how how have you adjusted? It's been about been about a year, and it ha- it's been a it hasn't been a totally normal year for for anyone because in the past oh. two two three months here, it's been crazy for with the, with yeah, the COVID been, stuff. It's but. been it's been crazy, uh, but with me, the reason why it's been a whole lot easier is because I probably maybe like fifteen years ago, I made my mind up uh, that you know when I get released because I I was hoping. Uh, to be released. So I told myself, uh, cause, and I'll say this, like my first like 12 years, mm-hmm. my first 12 years of prison, I was, I was a mess. I was a hot mess. I, I come in, I'm pissed off. Um, I'm, um, I'm addicted, you know, just everything, you know, and, uh, anger issues, everything. So I, I, I got in trouble. I got transferred around. I've been all over the country. And uh, I kept, I ended up doing uh, 13 months in solitary confinement. Uh, and that was the, like the last straw. And that really kind of helped me because in prison, you know, you got drugs in prison. Uh, you make homemade intoxicants, they call it hooch, moonshine. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's on, you know, and so... That last time when I when I went to solitary confinement for those thirteen months, I told myself I said uh, I looked at I said man I said you can't keep because my thing was I was always making excuses man I got thirty six years I got to do almost thirty three years I'm gonna be no good you know I, I'm gonna get out a couple months before I turn uh fifty six years old so I I use that as an excuse to be a a hole you know and I. I'm so finally, like about, like I said, about 15 years ago, I told myself, I said, I said, nah, enough of this. Get yourself together. Don't worry about your situation. Get yourself together. So when I did those 13 months of solitary confinement, I, and normally on the other cases, when I went to solitary confinement, I would actually be, you know, I'm, I'm smoking pot in solitary confinement. I'm making, uh, uh, wine and solitary confinement. How, how how are you smoking pot? How are you getting pot and making wine in solitary confinement? Prison is you is creative. You gotta yeah. remember. Uh, and then I was in federal prison, so mm-hmm. I was around some of the most creative dudes. I mean, prison. That's a whole other thing. There. I mean, but yeah, it was it was smoking pot in solitary confinement, making mm-hmm. uh intoxicants. But this time right here, when I did those thirteen months, I was like, now. Nah, I'm not gonna do it because this is the stuff that leads me in there. So I, I, uh, I sobered up, and so after I did the 13 months in solitary confinement, I came back to general population. I stuck with it into the, you know, so and it just got better. You know, I started attending uh, AA and NA while I was mm-hmm. in prison and everything, and uh, I started programming, self help classes. Uh, Take I took a manufacturing class and uh, just all kind of stuff. One of the classes, uh, you know, d- dealing with my anger, anger issue classes, uh, positive attitude, cl- just surrounding myself. Mm. And I said, man, in order for me, when that door opened, I got to be ready. So I just built myself up. And like my last like six years in, it was a class. It's called uh, a Seven Steps, and it deals with recidivism because uh, this country has a 
high recidivism oh, yeah. rate. You know, a lot of people uh, who who are released, the 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 the, the average is you know is 63, 63 no no 67.3% are gonna return within like three to five years. It's crazy. You know? Yeah. Yeah, this, and then because one thing about it is, it's like prison, and uh, it's a book. It's a book called uh, "New Jim Crow" by Michelle Alexander. Great read. Mm-hmm. It lays it out the judicial system and how. Uh, and it was a maybe two years ago on CNN. It was a uh, documentary called "American Jails" that lays it out. It's a business, you know. People think that oh well, you know they did wrong and they deserve. It's a it's more of a business aspect than anything because the budget for the American prison system, federal and state, is like I know when that, that show it's like fifty-six billion dollars. And trust me when I tell you that money, because the, the, the uh prisoners, we're responsible for eighty-five percent of the labor in each prison. The the inmates do everything from the plumbing to the cooking to the landscaping, uh, electrical work, mm-hmm. whatever. So it's like, okay, and then but you, we, we got to pay for everything. We got to pay for our phone calls. We got to uh, uh, pay, you know, they give you one, I know in the Fed, they give you one roll of toilet paper. That's why uh, they give you one roll of toilet paper a week. That's I, I, saw, why I, really I saw a new thing. I, you got you to pay to read books now, right? They got, they got, they got to read books. They got, this was a, this was a, a, a they got a, they gave us, uh, they allowed us to buy uh, MP3 players back in 2009. Mm-hmm. Come to find, but and they sell us the song. They got, they got three ranges. Like one song, the cheapest is 85 cent. The next one is a dollar 25. The next one is a dollar 50. But the whole thing is, is okay. You can buy somebody's song, but where do you get the license and or copyright to sell that song? So you might. And a lot of them songs since I didn't find since I've been home, you can jump right on the mm-hmm. thing and listen to it. So it's like you're taking these songs and you're selling them to the inmate. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, whoa, what's up with that? But yeah, but so I really like I say, when I was released on April 12th, within three weeks, I had a job. And I've been working, I've been working ever since. Uh this is my third. I got my first two jobs. Uh, my first job, I was unloading uh, semi trucks at a. At a uh, I was unloading semi trucks. That was through the temp mm-hmm. agency. But what happened? Uh, I didn't know at the time what was what it was because this was the first time happened. But I I developed a, a cyst on my wrist. I didn't know what it was. My wrist is just swelled up. It got to the point where I couldn't even lift anything. And uh, but I'm trying to tough it out because I my whole thing was man, I, I need I need my job. This is my income. So my mom, she was telling me, uh, son, you know, won't you, you know, won't you go to, and at the time I didn't have no insurance. Mm-hmm. I came home. The only assistance I got was from my family and a couple of friends. I didn't go sign. I didn't go get no assistance from any of the organizations, which there's plenty out there, but I, I didn't go. Uh, so she kept telling me, you know, won't you go and get that checked out? And I said, mom will be all right. But eventually it, it got to the point where I couldn't even lift with this arm. And uh, one, somebody ended up going back telling the foreman uh, that, hey, man, he's not really, you know, he's not doing his part. And I had actually went to my coworkers and told him, I said, man, you know, my, my wrist is messed up. I don't know what's wrong with it. I can't lift the heavy stuff. 
they were cool with that, so they told me to my friends. But somebody ended up going back telling the foreman that I'm basically not lifting the heavy stuff. So when the foreman tried to get me to lift the stuff, I told him, I said, hey, man, you know, my hand. And he's like, well, what happened? I said, I don't know. And he's like, did you hit it on anything? I was like, no, I didn't. No. I said, the only thing I can tell you is it wasn't like this when I, before I came out here, but it's developed since I've been out here. So he wanted me to lift the heavy stuff. I told him I couldn't. So he told me, he said, well, if you can't lift, what I need you to live, we don't need you out here. So I basically got fired on the spot. And that's when I went to the clinic and found out what it was. It was a cyst. So I went like about a month and a half of not working and trying to let it, uh, you know, go down, which it did. So I got my second job at a, uh, a place called Magna. And we make uh, we make the uh, lift gates for the Jeep, Cherokee Jeeps. And that was through the mm-hmm. temp service again. But the only thing, I mean, the money was good. But the only thing I had an issue with because they kept saying that I had to be a temp between 12 and 14 months. And I was like, you know, I was like, but I kept working there. But I I told myself, I said, I need a permanent job. So Mm -hmm. I ended up finding a permanent job. So I I put in my two weeks notice from from Magna and I got the permanent job uh, where we make uh, like six different parts for the Harley Davidson motorcycle. I've been there going on eight months now. So. I got my uh that's my income. That's awesome. I'm sitting I'm sitting in my apartment. This is my apartment I'm sitting in. I, I done had this for six months. I had my car uh for like eight months, which I just I got past some little problems with it, so I just had to go buy another car. So I gotta get rid of my first car. But everything's been, you know, I just had my mind made up. I ain't I ain't uh I ha- I haven't drank since I've been home. So mm-hmm. I've been sober since I've been home. Uh no type of drugs, no, you know, uh, which I can't do uh, drugs anyway because I'm on federal paper, but mm-hmm. it wouldn't matter. You know, Illinois now is, you know, rec- recreational use, which I still wouldn't be able to do, but mm-hmm. I just don't got the desire to, to drink or, or get high. And things just, uh, you know, I got, I got, uh, I came home with zero, with no credit. I got a seven, I think a 706 credit score. The goal is, you know, eventually, you know, to be excellent. Um, actually, my plan is sometime next year, maybe the end of next year, I want to buy a house, you know. So I, I got myself together, yeah. you know. I, I, and like this, this situation now that's been going on for the last two months, it hasn't affected me based on, you know, like I said, I sat in prison for almost twenty six years, and this right here, what's going on here, is a piece of cake. You know, it's it's real. People are getting sick and people are dying, but. I'm not letting it run my life. You know, I'm still, the only way it affected me, I was unemployed for three weeks. Uh, and that was it, you know, based on the, uh, the virus. Yeah. You know, I think uh, just the whole thing you laid out there, how while you were in prison, you know, when you put put back in solitary again and you made a decision, you made a decision that you were changing right then. And from then on out, kind of everything you've been doing has, has been, has been, has been leading you forward. And then it's yeah. just kind of like, stacked on top of each other and then you've, you've gotten out and then you're just not allowing yourself i mean it really it really goes to show you how much of life is just it's in your mind it's between your ears it's, it's the decisions Definitely. you make and it's it's what you accept and yeah. uh I, I mean yeah i just think yeah i think you have a great story um and it's it's so crazy i mean i think an important it's it's weird to say this but looking back and hearing your story you know that part of your life where you, I mean, you had that screwed up trial where you end up getting more time than your co-defendants, 
but that's just contributed to your overall story. I mean, that was that was learning experience in itself. Yeah, it was. Uh, and then and see, like when I when I t- and, and my thing was, and I'll say because, like I said, I wasn't no saint. I was dealing drugs. I just didn't get caught at this particular time mm-hmm. of the drugs I was dealing. I got put in on my childhood friends. But so I looked, you know, my first, and that was a part of my first uh, 12 years because I, I was playing the victim role. This ain't my mm-hmm. case. I got more time than anybody, you know, my co-defendants and for what? So I, I was running with that. And it was finally when I said, I had to tell myself, I said, hold on, now pump the brakes. You were out there, you know, breaking the law. You know, you mm-hmm. you were, you know, so so I so now I would say that I was convicted of my lifestyle, you know, because even if I wouldn't have got uh caught up on my friend's case, I was still out there dealing drugs. I was, you know, so I had to come, I had to come with ease with that. Then I had to accept, well, what did I contribute to? Okay, yeah, I did I have a I had a messed up trial. I had a public defender that didn't fight for me and what may be the case, but how did I contribute to that? You know, you didn't cut like right now I'm working. I get up and I go to work every day. Uh, I'm sitting in my own, my own home. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to worry about law enforcement coming up to my job, wanting to question me. I don't got to worry about them knocking on my door or kicking my door mm-hmm. in. You know, I, I conduct myself as a law abiding citizen. That's, you know, so now when I see the police, I can wave. I can, I don't have to, you know, because once upon a time, I had drugs or a gun on me. Mm-hmm. You know, now I just got my driver's license and my credit cards and right. my debit card. So it's the transformation for me, because like I say, I made my mind up in the mind. Once we make our minds up, it could be to do some negative. It could be to do something positive. Mm-hmm. Once your mind is made up, on what you want to do. And that's where that's you know moving forward. You know, I'm I'm taking baby steps and I'm adding on. And, and it's a book that I recommend to the listeners. It's called uh it's called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Oh I've read I've read that read book. That? Yeah. So you yeah <laughs> um yeah you you well you know that's a yeah it's an incredible book man yeah the crazy thing about that book is I had made that transformation mm-hmm. prior to me reading the book, you know? Really? So when I read the book, it just, it, the, the book gave substance and a title to what I had already did. So mm-hmm. it just blew. I, it took me four months to read that book. Cause I kept, I might start chapter one. It might take me uh 10 days. Cause I'm, I didn't read it. So, cause I'm absorbing it. Mm-hmm. And cause it gave a substance and a title to what I actually done. And that's why I always, I recommend it to uh, people. I said, read that book because we're so, and one of the things that the book always says is focus because it starts with the, with the thought, mm-hmm. you know, this, this, this video, this equipment, technology, everything started with a thought. So it, it, it tells you to focus on your thoughts. Think about what you're thinking about because that's going out there. And I say all the time, I always say to people, you know, same thing with this virus. Uh, People are, well, I hope I don't get it. And I say, I'm not going to get it. Focus and put out the thought that what you want to happen and not what you don't want to happen. You know, so I, you know, that book, 
it, it, it woke me up on that. You know, pay attention to your thoughts. You know, think of what you want going on in your life and what you don't. And my whole thing is, is because my mind is set up and, I, and uh, I'm, I'm totally focused. This is actually the longest I've been out in society. I started uh, getting, in, getting, I started going to the county jail at 17 years old. I'm, I'll be 51 next month. This is the longest I've been in society as an adult. These uh, mm-hmm. uh, June, I mean uh, uh, June twelfth, will be fourteen months I've been home, and those fourteen months has been the longest I've been in society as an adult, straight. Because ninety nine percent of the stuff I used to do, a hundred percent of the thinking and the attitude that I used to have is totally gone, and that goes with that book, breaking the habit yeah. of being yourself. It's uh, Joe Dispenza, and that I mean, it's. A, I will say this to the listeners out there: it's a book you got to be ready for because it's going to challenge. It's going to challenge your beliefs. If you're one of those people who thinks that life just kind of happens and it's all random, um, it's going to challenge that, and it, it makes you really, really think about and embrace that. You know, really, you create your own future. Your uh, yep. your personality becomes your reality. So. Yep. It's uh, it's a fascinating book, and I, I'm just like you. I, it took me forever to read that book because I kept rereading pages over and over yeah. again. But oh my goodness, yeah. yeah. Matter of fact, I'm I'm going to uh, go get it again because I, I left mine. Uh, I left mine once I finally did finish reading it while I was in. Uh, matter of fact, uh, it was Ford who told me about it because he had it first. Oh, yeah? and he was like, "Man, you need to read this," and I ended up having somebody order it for me. And I read it, and it just it blew me away. Mm-hmm. Even that, and like I say, what just made it so much. It added substance, and it added a title to what I had already did anyway. Because I knew, in order for me to have a chance, once I finally made it in society, I had to come home a totally different person. Because my way always got me in trouble, you know. So I had to throw push all that to the side, my anger issues, uh, greed, being self, I had to get all that out of me, negative attitude, everything, and start all over, and I added on, so that's why, since I've been home, everything that I've accomplished, and I, and I, and I continue to push myself, this is what I said I was going to do anyway, and I always you know, because I got a, I got a, a, a nice uh, following on Facebook, and I always put it out there that, you know, this is just my story, but we all got a story to tell, you know, and I try to, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not ashamed uh, to put it out there, you know, by me having my past because in my hopes is eventually, cause like right now I'm just building credibility to be able to, uh, other inmates who will, who will be released, whether they did a year or 10 years to whatever, letting them know and i used to always say this in the class the uh the recidivism class that i uh help facilitate i used to always say you got to give yourself a chance you know because guys would always come back saying i couldn't get a job uh this or that this or that the three main things that a person returns to prison for it's going to be either you went back to a life of crime substance abuse or uh domestic domestic abuse the domestic violence. Those are the any guy who who basically return back is one of those three things, you know. And like, uh, I haven't went back to uh, doing crime, 
I don't I don't drink or do drugs and I'm I'm single. You know, I, that's even something that I said that, you know, uh, I'm giving myself a chance because I just came from a situation of being confined. And I'm the type of person I like putting my all in. If I'm going to do something, I don't like half doing it. You know, when I was a when I was in the streets, you know, I, I put my all in, even though it was it was negative. I give it my all, you know, at my job, I give forth my best effort, you know, because I want to be held accountable for the things I do. And like today, mm-hmm. I, I think I, I, I conduct myself as a law abiding citizen. I'm not I'm not mad. You know, the, the 20 uh, I did 25 years, eight months in a 22 days. You know, I can't get that back. I'm not trying to play catch up. My biggest loss and my biggest hurt was my son my son my son was murdered uh june 2nd uh 2013 he he was 24. i'm sorry to hear that i got i got thank you i got sentenced to 36 years eight months when i was 24. he lost his life and i used he ended up and and i know the whole thing that's why it's so powerful uh to have that family structure and to have a positive role model, it don't, you know, you just got to get that positive role model. And so right, like right now I'm building my credibility because eventually I want to get off into the field of setting up some programs where I could talk to these, you know, the younger kids Mm -hmm. and then everything, uh, uh, younger adults and be like, look, once you know, you got a chance, because once upon a time, I didn't think I, once I got my first felony, I was like, man, I'm a felony. It's over with, man. You know, I I, mm-hmm. I fooled myself. I tricked myself into thinking I would never have a chance in the working world. Who's going to give me a job? I'm a felon. And I brought into that. You know, that's not true. You know, my uh, where I work at is, is felons out there. It's, it's, it's what you want with your life. You know, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired of being incarcerated. I'm 32 years of my 50 years right now has been spent in jails and prison. So I'm trying to do, you know, I don't know how much longer I got, but for the for however long it is, I'm trying to spend the rest of my life as a free law-abiding citizen where, you know, I, I don't want a lot. I just mm-hmm. I just want to make it. You know, I'm not trying, you know, and I want to help as I go along. That's why I always say on my on my Facebook page is I'm here to help build. I'm not, you know, because you know I, I don't know how much you use Facebook. It's a lot of negativity it's on all, there. It's, it's like, all negativity, yeah. Yeah, it's like everybody's trying to outdo everybody and being uh, negative. Bash, bash, bash. Oh, I, you you know, and uh, my page is, you know, people tell me, I, I actually before uh, this happened with the lockdown and all that last year, like in the fall and summer, people I didn't even know would actually come to me and, shake my hand and say, hey, man, I, I like the message that you put out on your page. You know, you you stay positive, you stay uplifting mm-hmm. because, I mean, we don't need to be down. I mean, that you would be down on if that's the choice because everything is a choice. That's another thing with that book. You got a choice. See, people don't understand because once upon a time, I didn't understand that I got a choice to be who I really want to be and to be uh, what I want to be and, and set the direction of I want. I, I got a choice, mm-hmm. so I, I can't change my past. I can't change that, but I weigh in on what I do today, 
and what I do tomorrow, what I do next week, next month, and, and next year. I understand. So that's how I move. Yeah, I believe that. Well, Albert, we are uh, out of time today. If you just uh, if you just want to let the uh, audience know, maybe if they want to follow you on Facebook or if you want to leave, I don't have, have any other social media sites you want to leave here. But uh, okay, uh, plug away. Well, I'm, I'm uh, f- Facebook Al- Albert Edwards. Uh, that's me, and uh, you know I love to hear from from everybody, uh, weigh in and, and whatnot. You know, and this is where I am. This is this is my story. Um. I'm a work in progress, you know, but I'm I'm going in the right direction. I'm glad I'm home. My mom, my mom just turned 76 uh, back in March. That first birthday with her in X amount of years. Mm-hmm. You know, I got five grandkids. I got a beautiful daughter. So I keep it simple, and uh, I'm just glad to be home, and I'm, I'm living a good life. I'm enjoying it, and I'm going to continue to enjoy it. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Maybe in a couple months we'll have uh, you and Carl on the show together, and uh, we'll okay. do a do a little. Uh, Me in on it. Just let us know. Do a roundtable show. <laughs> All right, sounds yeah. good. Thanks, Albert. Okay. All right, thanks, John. Thank you for listening to today's show. Another great episode of Felony Friday. As you know, Felony Friday is one of three shows we have here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, we kick off every single week with our Monday show, hosted by Mark Claire. It's our longest-running program, our flagship program, where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land, hosted by Brian McWilliams. It's your weekly shot of culture, comedy, liberty, swearing, and just just good fun. Check that out. You can get all three shows by subscribing for the great price of $0 per month. You get everything that we have here. So please check everything out, and uh, if you like it all, Please think about, consider supporting what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty. A great way to do that is by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash Liberty. Another great way of doing that is by uh, following, liking, sharing our stuff on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Liberty. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at Lions of Liberty. And the discussion forum where all the greatest and brightest minds go to to talk about politics, liberty, everything that's happening in the world today, current events, the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook, which you can find by typing Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top of Facebook, clicking search, comes up, say you want to join it, answer a question, bam, you're in, and the rest is just going to be a great journey for you. So check that out. That's all I have for today. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. <laughs>